It is simply rude not to praise the beauty of the world, which is still all around us. Science is an investigative art. Poetry is an investigative technology and science. Hi, this is Universe of Art, a podcast from Science Friday in WNYC Studios about artists who use science to take their creations to the next level. I'm Dee Peter Schmidt. Today, we're featuring a Science Friday interview with poet Jane Hirschfield, and a lot of her poetry draws connections between nature and human life. She's also been a poet in residence for an experimental forest in Oregon, and was also a visiting artist for the University of California, San Francisco's neuroscience program. And listening back to this, she's one of those rare speakers who almost seems to speak in poetry. Her words are just so direct and thoughtful and sobering. She reads some of her incredible poems during the interview, and I just wanted to stew in those words for for much longer than the interview provided. This segment also aired on March 20th, 2020. And even though her new book at the time focused on ecological topics, a lot of the take-home messages ran alongside with what we were experiencing in those early months of COVID. And it's kind of fascinating hearing her and guest host John Dankosky reckoning with all that in real time and how much of that still resonates today. Now here's John speaking to poet Jane Hirschfield about her book of poetry called Ledger. And now we're going to turn, as many of us do in times of stress or uncertainty, to poetry. Poet Jane Hirschfield has a long relationship with science, from her 2004 poem, Global Warming, to her many works about the natural world, physics, even proteins in the human body. And her newest book, Ledger, is no different. From the International Space Station's view of global warming to the small size and smaller cares of an ant, she examines crises in the biosphere and brings them to human lives. Here to talk about what it means to bring science into poetry, how poetry can be a tool for observation just as much as science can, and hopefully how poetry can help us find balance in this crisis, poet, essayist, and translator Jane Hirschfield. Her latest book is called Ledger. She lives in the Bay Area and joins us by phone. Welcome to Science Friday. Thanks so much. And thanks so much for this book. It's beautiful. I appreciate that. Um, your book came out last week, and when we scheduled this interview, uh, it was a little bit of a different world. We were thinking about talking about climate change. Um, I-, I want you to read your poem, Cataclysm, and then maybe we can talk a bit about this idea of how the world has changed right after we hear it. Absolutely. Um, so this is the first time I've spoken today because I'm sheltering in place, so my voice is a little hoarse, I notice. <laughs> okay. Um, cataclysm. It begins subtly. The magpie withdraws an inch from the birch tree. The porcupine wants nothing to do with the skink. Fish unschool. Sheep unflock to separately graze. Clouds, meanwhile, declare to the sky they have nothing to do with the sky, which is not visible as they are, nor knows the trick of turning into infant, tumbling pterodactyls. The turtles in moonlight... Their long arrangement is over. As for the humans, let us not speak of the humans. Let us speak of their language. The first person singular condemns the second person plural for betrayals neither has words left to name. The fed consider the hungry and stay silent. So, when I read this poem for the first time, last week, in the midst of all this, it 
kicked me directly in the stomach um, mm-hmm. because of how prescient it seems to be about where we are right now. How do you think of this poem differently as you're sheltered in place today? Well, it absolutely startled me to realize that what began as a description of ecological unraveling became, in its, in its metaphorical way, a fairly accurate description of social distancing. Uh, that's just peculiar. Um, but it also, as the whole book does, is a poem that was trying to take some account of what feels to me absolutely unaccountable and figure out, as art does, you know, how can we, how can we navigate? How can we open our eyes the next day? And in that way, you know, the crises, the larger crisis of environmental uh, close to catastrophe is not at all disconnected from the current catastrophe and crisis, which is simply making a great deal more instantly visible, undeniable, and unpostponable the fact that there are no borders between us, that we live in a world of shared fate. Mm. And I think it just draws to my attention the the tragedy of, of us pulling apart from one another being forced to. I mean, you don't you don't think of the fish unschooling, uh, right. and when you do, it's um, it's a sad and scary thought, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I think that one of the reasons I'm very glad to have art be part of the conversation, as now that we're all settling in a tiny bit, it's beginning more and more to be, is because art is a way that allows you even in solitude, to partake of community and to recognize that you're not alone, that everything you've experienced, another human being has experienced um, and lived not only to survive, but to leave witness. Um, you, you call these unaccountable times. You've said this already. Tell me more about what you mean for that. Well, I'm a child of the late 60s, early 70s. I remember the first Earth Day 50 years ago. And everything we knew then 50 years ago, everything we hoped. And to me, it is unfathomable that so little has been done. Um, That here I am, a lifetime from that young woman. And the sheer grief of all of the undone, the unaddressed, the ignored, the turned away from, the failure, not of knowledge, but of taking knowledge seriously, uh, that became very acute to me over the years that I was writing this this book and these poems. And so it permeates it. And when something is unfathomable, Hmm. what does a human being do? I think the first thing you need to do is feel simply that. Uh, to break through the superficiality or the exhaustion or the distraction of our regular lives and to say, no, I am, I am going to respond to this. And when you respond to something, you begin to take responsibility for it. Hmm. Why did you call the book Ledger? Well, there's a great deal of accounting in it. Um, <laughs> there's the numbers of uh, species as they vanish. There's the height of a five-foot island threatened by sea rise. 
and there is the attempt to balance my grief and my despair with praise, with appreciation, with gladness that I can still wake up in the morning. And there is my local mountain, and there are uh, the cedar wax wings at last winter's berries still on the still on the Katoni Aster. And finding that balance is the way you keep opening your eyes every day. Hmm. I'm wondering if you could read your poem, My Debt, for us. So this is the last poem in the book, and in a way this is the poem in which I did find that balance, that I realized I had been writing so much into the darkness of our current unraveling social and unraveling of justice and unraveling of compassion, as well as biological. And I suddenly was shaken by the realization that, no, it is rude. It is simply rude not to praise the beauty of the world, which is still all around us. So here's my debt. Like all who believe in the senses, I was an accountant, copyist, statistician, not registrar, witness, permitted to touch the leaf of a thistle, the trembling work of a spider, to ponder the Hubble's recordings. It did not matter if I believed in the party of particle or of wave, as I carried no weapon. It did not matter if I believed. I weighed ashes, actions, cities that glittered like rubies on the scales I was given, calibrated in units of fear and amazement. I wrote the word it, the word is. I entered the debt that is owed to the real. Forgive, spine-covered leaf, soft-bodied spider, octopus lifting one curious tentacle back toward the hand of the diver, that in such black ink... I set down your flammable colors. We'll be right back with poet Jane Hirschfield. We, um, we asked our listeners what some of their pe- favorite poems about science were. Um, and we had this response from Rissy in Milwaukee. Let's listen. My favorite poem was read to me as a child by my mother, and it introduced me to the beauties of nature and the wisdom of animals. It's called Something Told the Wild Geese by Rachel Field. Something told the wild geese it was time to go. Though the fields lay golden, something whispered snow. Something told the wild geese it was time to fly. Summer sun was on their wings, winter in their cry. Hmm. It's beautiful. Beautiful. What do you think poetry about the natural world speaks to in us? I think it speaks to the absolute indelible connection that even those of us who grew up in cities, as I did on East 20th Street in Manhattan, um, we, we recognize in that the world we evolved to be in, and we recognize in beauty everything that evolution set inside of us for survival of heart and spirit and mind as well as of body. Um, I have a theory that 
the reason we like shiny things is because in nature it indicates very often water. <laughs> and thirsty people will find shiny things beautiful. I think one of the things also that, that many of your poems do, and some of my favorite poems about nature do, is they describe uh, the creatures that inhabit this world with us, animals, in a way that I feel is so much more real than the way popular culture has depicted them. I, I feel as though so often popular culture takes animals and, and ascribes human characteristics to them, but but in your poems or uh, the poems of Mary Oliver, which which I love so much about birds, there's a there's a way in which you describe the birdiness of something, right? That that is just um, observation of what it, what it is. I'm wondering if you can talk about that because in, in some ways you have a very scientific view of of animals. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is we are animals, and I think the simple recognition of that solidarity of existence really matters, uh, that as we are mammals of a certain era, and we recognize that we are not the center of the universe when we look at all of the others, the insects, the fishes, the birds, and uh, octopi, those gloriously intelligent creatures who evolved their intelligence so differently than we did. And we feel in a way, for me, I know this strikes some people as odd, but for me, it is a great relief not to feel myself the center of things. I am much happier when I can recognize my human existence as continuous with all of these other existences pursuing their own gloriously evolved lives in fascinating detail. And, you know, this goes down to the levels of molecules and atoms, not just animals. It, it is such a, an extraordinary panoply existence. And if I think I'm the center of it, what burden that is. Hmm. Why does science keep making its way into your work? You well, think? I have a long relationship to it, which I can't really explain where that comes from. I was a curious child, but you know the the earliest of my poems that I that I still have a working relationship to was written in 1982, and it has the strong forces and weak forces of physics in it. Um, where did that come from? I wasn't a physicist, but it was a vocabulary that allowed me both to appreciate it for its own fascination and also to think about other things. I've been a poet in residence for um, an experimental forest in Oregon, the H.J. Andrews, and for a neuroscience program at UCSF. I ended up getting involved with the March for Science and starting an organization called Poets for Science, which people can find out about online at poetsforscience.org. Uh, they can participate in a global community poem, which is hosted on that website at, at Kent State's Wick Poetry Center. Um, so it's just been a continuous conversation for me, which I think is in some ways the byproduct of parallel curiosities. You know, science is an investigative art. Poetry is an investigative technology and science. 
And how do you work then science into your work? When you learn something new that inspires you, do you devour everything you can about it? Do you ask a friend who's a, who's an expert in that field? How do you how do you work through it in your work? Well, it's a little bit the other way around in that I simply listen to everything. A great many of my friends are research scientists, and I also, you know, read the Science Times section and listen to Science Friday. And those those bright, shiny objects are something that uh, the magpie poet will then, sometimes many years later, suddenly need, and it will come into a poem because I need it to think about what that poem is. So one example of it is um, uh, the, the Science Times had an article about the protein of itch and another article about the microbiome. And I was thinking, I began writing about that simply because it was so interesting, but it became a poem exploring where does self begin and end. You know, what is a self when our microbiome says the self, you know, what is us? Which part of us is us? Which part of us is not us? And, you know, this is the same question that any child who eats a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and wonders, when does it stop being the sandwich and start being me? (laughs) We all ask these things. Um, But as a poet, I occasionally try to put it into relatively few words trying to work their way through something and arrive at a conclusion or a discovery or a feeling or an emotional response that didn't quite exist before. Jane Hirschfeld, this has been wonderful, and I thank you so much for spending some time with us, especially at this time in which it feels as though we need poetry uh, more than ever. Thank you for, for being with us here on Science Friday. Thank you so much for having me on. Universe of Art is hosted and produced by me, Dee Peterschmidt, and I also wrote the music. The segment you just heard was originally produced by Christy Taylor. Our show art is illustrated by Abel Hayford, and support for Science Friday science and arts coverage comes from the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. Also, if you have an idea for a future episode of Universe of Art, you can send us an email or a voice memo to universe at sciencefriday.com. We'll be back in two weeks. See ya!